Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the ITSM podcast. Uh, my name is Rebecca Beach and today I have guests uh, Simon Morris and Tobias Nyberg. Hi guys, how are you? I'm very well. This is Simon. Hi Rebecca, I'm very well. And Tobias? Yeah, everything is uh, petrifying in Sweden as well. <laughs> Lovely, that's great. Um, so I've been trying to get Simon and Tobias onto the podcast for, I think it's probably getting on for about six months now. Um, and they finally said yes, and at the same time as well, which is fantastic. Um, so today we're going to be talking around the stru structured problem analysis uh, topic. And guys, you've both um, you've both written articles for us before on these subjects. So Simon, um, your what, what were your articles based around? Sure. So my article is based around a process or a methodology that I came across. Um, kind of in my work, which was the Kepner-Trago Structured Problem Analysis Methodology. Now, it's interesting because uh, Kepner-Trago, as a kind of a term or a buzzword, was already kind of in my consciousness, having read some of the ITIL books, um, especially the service operation book, and, you know, had an opportunity to work with people from Kepner-Trago. Um, so Kepner-Trago, as well as being a methodology, you know, it's a, a set of processes and a way of thinking, it's also a, uh, a global consultancy firm, so I managed to meet some of the guys from Capnitrago and learn more about what they did. Well, that sounds and it was interesting good. because yeah, yeah, and they've been going for about fifty years, is that right? So they've been around in the in the area for for quite some time, dealing with yeah. problem, problem management, not just in IT but in other areas of um, other sectors as well. Is that right? Well, I mean, I mean, I, I, IT is probably their smallest sector that they are involved in, which is interesting because they are kind of prominent in the book. People, you know, the book says, the service operation book says, you know, Kepner-Trey goes a great problem man management method, never really goes into any detail. Mm. And it's interesting because Kepner-Trey goes really around industry, you know, manufacturing and mining and agriculture and IT. Obviously, the whole world is shifting towards IT over the last 30 years. And, of course, IT is now a big part of what they do. But they've been going since 1958. And, you know, from a time point of view, the majority of their work has been outside of IT, and in a way, that's why I really like it, because it has so much more exposure to different industries and different people, and it's really proven itself in a, a much more thorny area like manufacturing and mining. Yeah. So is this, is, this, is this why you like the Kanban stuff as well? Because all that came from manufacturing, didn't it? Because I know, because my husband works in, in manufacturing, and he's been mm. moaning about Kanban for as long as I can remember, and yet we, in IT, we seem to have really embraced it and ran with it, and... Um, I wonder if it's because they've been doing it for such a long time now that they've sort of a bit sick of it. But um, it's a fairly new thing for us, isn't it? So are you you enjoying kind of taking on stuff from other sectors and bringing it into IT? Is that something that you that you like doing? Yeah, absolutely. I think as we see you know, service management maturing, what we're really seeing is a move towards standardisation and process efficiency. And I think mm -hmm. when I first got into IT, which was uh, in the year 2000, um, you know, it's all around. Surely you're that, not that thing. old, Simon. Sorry, I thought it felt I like am. I ought to throw yeah. that in there. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm really old, actually. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, in the early days, you know, it was kind of like a novelty of getting stuff working. Like, you know, we get servers and we can do clustering, and it was just a novelty to see stuff actually work in the field. Yeah. And now, as technology's matured and we've seen commoditization through cloud services, people aren't really as impressed by it highly available systems. I think now we're seeing people kind of knuckle down and go back to 
right, it works now. How can we make it work efficiently and predictably? And how can we make it very standardized? And of course, if we're looking for a reference point on how to do that, Lean has been doing that since the 50s. You know, the yeah. Toyota um, principles and Lean and Kanban and Kaizen, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's a really mature framework, and putting it into IT just seems seems new for us. Um, I guess manufacturing people looking at these IT folk and going, ha, we've been doing that for, for decades. Yeah. Yeah, they probably are laughing at us, aren't they? Let's face it. <laughs> um, so, Tobias, your, your kind of um, basis around around problem analysis is that it's similar to Simon's or uh, what, what's your kind of experience well uh, my experience uh, uh, is that, that the times that we've tried to establish problem management and in the special interest groups that have uh, held uh, within ITSMF in Sweden the 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 Kepner trigger, for instance, is something that sometimes scare people. <clears throat> and even though we try to use it a lot and and try to have uh, you know people in my company working with the structured methods, um, it, it kind of kind of scare people off problem management. And they say it's it's too complicated for us. It's it's um, it's something we don't want to do. So I've been trying to to teach them that you know methods like Kepner trigger isn't uh, it isn't rocket science. It's something that you can really benefit from. And something that you shouldn't be scared of when you try to establish problem management, because mm -hmm. it um, can give you a lot of, of value and benefits from it. So it's my that, that people aspect of, of of things that I've been working mostly with uh, with problem management and, and the teams that I've worked with. So, but apart from that, I must say that you know, these structured methods, I when I see them in use and when people evolve enough and mature enough working with problem management. They they need the structured methods in able to be uh, to be able to be have, have more value out of the problem management. Mm -hmm. So so um, you, sorry, carry on, Simon. So we'll edit that bit out. Um, so <laughs> um, what was I so what was my train of thought now? Yeah, sorry. So so twice you say that um, structured problem analysis is kind of complex, and I do see customers look at it in its entirety and go, "Wow, that's a lot of uh, a lot of process work that we need to get into." Mm -hmm. But one of the favourite sayings I've heard over the last year was from uh, Gene Kim in his DevOps talk, and he's really describing that the value isn't at the end of the road. Yeah. And sometimes that road is kind of twisty and turny and long and bumpy and everything else. You pick up the value as soon as you get on the road, and the early steps you take are really valuable. So it's not about getting to the final destination of being fully Captain Trago aware or having all of the roles defined and fulfilled. It's really around the first couple of steps you take really, um, really give you a lot of value. Yeah. I think if customers do that, they'll be a lot more willing to taking those first steps. Um, so we need to kind of ease people into it, I guess, rather than saying, here's the overall Kepner-Togo methodology. You know, people need to understand there's a lot of value in the first couple of steps that you take. Yeah. Do you know, Simon, you've just reminded me, do you remember in the 80s, in the offices, you used to have all those inspirational posters everywhere? Mm -hmm. I feel like you could probably start a line of those now. With you know, because there is one, isn't there, that says something along the lines of, "It's not the destination; it's the journey that's the important bit, and all the rest of it." So there we go. You've got you've got a new you've got a new job there, a sideline that you can. I didn't mean to sound quite so wise, <laughs> but you know, it sounds really, sound really profound there. You did, yes. <laughs> but no, that, I mean, it's a really good point. I think that you know, it, it's it's the same with ITIL, isn't it? If you take ITIL as a whole, you just you'd never start, would you? Because you wouldn't you wouldn't know where to. So it's important to kind of take it in a in a small, a, you know, a small chunk and start from there and build up. And 
But what what's your experiences with um, with companies actually doing problem management? Because um, in my, I mean, I, I admittedly I haven't got a, a broad range of experience with with companies, but the ones that I did work at, problem management wasn't it didn't factor in very much, and it was something that I always thought was you know was really missing and could be really useful. So, what's your what's your experiences of of companies with problem management? Are they doing it? Are they doing it well? Well, from my point of view, uh, as in your case, my experience is is not that broad from many different companies. Although through ITSMF Sweden, I've gotten the uh, opportunity to get a lot of insights uh, within the special interest group around problem management that we that we had. Uh, and what I can see is that in in general, people tend to drift into the fact that they need to establish and, and do problem management once the service desk is, is a, you know, at a 99% solve rate in first line because they realize that there are so many things that they should try to find the root cause of and fix. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to that, it's um, from what I can tell, it, the, the guidance uh, you know, from the idle books, it's, uh, it, it only takes them so far. In general, they know the, the concepts of problem management, but when it comes to how to actually do it and how to actually do that root cause analysis and finding out what the actual problems are, um, the structured methodologies are, are, are missing from that part, and they, they don't know really where to turn. And you know, when they start Googling and they find this Kepner-Trigo, for instance, or, or the other um, you know, well-used methodologies that there are out there, it's kind of you know, overwhelming for them. It's 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 as it, you know they settle down with just okay. Let's keep a ticket of this in our ticketing system, and and then we do what we always do. We try to sort of fix stuff and, and uh, in an unstructured way, which is in most of the cases okay to start with, but in the long run, it's not going to be efficient enough. So mm -hmm. I, that's what I'm seeing around. And how about you? My experience. Oh, sorry. And I think my experience is that. Um, a lot of companies are still feel they're too busy to really invest in it. I mean, problem yeah. management, doing it well and finding the root cause is really a uh, a strategic um, activity rather than a tactical activity. Yeah. Tactical activities being more, you know, how do I stop the finance director being angry about his laptop or the speed of his internet or whatever else? So servicing the immediate problems. Yeah. So when we have organisations which are you know, really too busy to invest in strategic activities. What you really have to do is say, you know, how can we create slack time? How can we give people the time to invest in things like problem management, things like assessing the landscape of the system, where are the problems that are causing the most impact, and how do we get to them? Yeah. But in my experience, a lot of customers, as they're driving towards efficiency, and as they're driving towards you know, being cheaper and more efficient for the company, they're not creating enough slack time where their engineers have time to really go and look at these deep-rooted problems and, and eke them out. And it's really yeah. important because if you, don't, if, you, if you don't even know where the problems are in the system, how can you do things like correlation and known errors? How can you, you know, a known error will resolve your tactical issues quicker because people know a repeatable method for fixing it. So even problem, problem recognition is the first step. And most companies are still yet to find enough slack time to do that properly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that, um, again, in my sort of limited experience, you just you, you're constantly on the go, aren't you? In in IT, mm. you just don't you don't really stop. So it, it's kind of I, I think it's a shame, really, like you said, that you don't have people that have the time to because it's a certain personality as well, isn't it? I think that that can do this 
sort of problem analysis because you need to think in a different way to someone that's doing for example instant management because you're just thinking about fixing the problem immediately aren't you whereas with with problem analysis you need to be able to kind of pick stuff apart and go okay well if that's happening why is that happening and get right into the like saying right into the root of the problem and and I think it's a different it's a different pace isn't it you can't do that kind of thing at breakneck speed all the time you need to be able to sit and properly analyze stuff and you know and it's just it's just not the same I don't think I agree yeah um I think in some ways some people would even say there's a I'm not sure conflict of interest is the right term but it's kind of that thing where if you are responsible for maintaining services or maintaining hardware you may not be the most unbiased person and it's not a deliberate bias where we'd say well it's those router guys because those router guys are always causing problems but mm-hmm. it's an implied kind of cognitive bias when you look at a problem now if you're if you're a network engineer Every problem you look at seems to be a network problem because that's your domain of speciality. Yeah. Um, before I worked for the company I'm currently at, um, I used to work as a you know a practitioner, if that's the right word, with um, service management. We had a problem with a large Mac studio advertising folk, and every now and then some PowerPoint files would be corrupted. Mm-hmm. So they'd save a file and it would either be locked when they went back to it or just a mess when they opened it up. And everyone we spoke to about this problem all had a different perspective from their own bias and it wasn't deliberate kind of malicious bias it was yeah. oh let's go and look at the switches or let's go and look at the database servers or let's go and look at the, the storage and you really need an independent mind even if it is a technical person in a team the right mindset is okay let's be rational about this you know, um, and let's not jump to conclusions and what I really love about the Kepner Trago method is called a rational method and the, the book that I recommend people buy is the, the new rational manager um, and it takes you through rational thinking where you come to your conclusions, mm-hmm. but then you have to go and disprove them. And the one that you can't disprove then gets put as a list as a probable cause, and then you then have to go a further step and say, right, how do we prove this probable cause? I've seen loads of people jump to a conclusion, run off down a very expensive, you know, let's replace the switch or let's, I don't know, rewire that cabinet or whatever it is, let's upgrade the software. And they haven't gone in a rational way. They haven't disproved that method. Yeah. Um, that's a really a powerful thing that the Kepner Trago methodology brings, the, the rational element of thinking. Yeah. It goes just in, in line with what I've been experiencing and what I've been trying to do as well when it comes to um, agreeing on the problem, defining the problem together and, and agreeing what, what the actual problem is before running to find a solution. Because I see that a lot, you know, you, you you find something that you think you can fix and then you just go ahead and, and fix it and you can spend a lot of, a lot of money to, to do that and time as well, of course, uh, without actually any result in the end. So I think that's a very common problem when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, unstructured problem management. So Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree to us completely. I mean, you know, people stating the problem clearly and stating it in such a way that you know what the object is, you know, what is the object that is being affected, and the definition of a deviation. So every object, say it's I know, the internet service or a database server, has an expected level of service, and the definition of a problem is this object has a deviation. So if it runs at 10 millisecond response time, and now it's gone up to 20, you can actually say, right, we have a definite you know, definition of the problem. 
Mm-hmm. And again, people are so quick to say, yep, I've got it, I know what it is, last time it was a switch problem, so I want to go and replace that switch, okay? And the answer is no, hang on, but we haven't even defined the deviation. What is the problem? Does the deviation match last time? Mm, and yeah. the deviation is the difference between the actual performance you're experiencing now and the expected level of performance, you know, back to 10 milliseconds. If you keep working to get it better than it was previously running, it's a very expensive activity and probably not part of problem management. You need to know what is the expected level we want to get back to. Yeah. Faster is a very subjective term. So, I mean, that sounds like something that you'd need to be quite a mature organization to be able to kind of do this. Would you Would you say that, that, that that's accurate? Do you think that sort of the Im- more immature organizations could do this uh, structured problem analysis? Well, the great thing about structured problem analysis is that it is a mindset rather than a very expensive tool. So in terms of maturity, you certainly don't need tools. It's a literally a whiteboard, at most an Excel sheet kind of activity. It's capturing the data and then having that rational thought process. So I don't, I don't see barriers in terms of maturity, in terms of budget or number of people. But I think um, it's very accessible once you read the book and you understand the thought process. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not sure I agree. I think um, less or lower maturity customers could do this. And I think, again, just taking the first couple of steps, even clear definition of a problem stops people going off down the, the wrong track. And it's really around challenging people and challenging their their assumptions. Mm. So if you're saying to me it's a database server, you, as a problem manager, you can say back to them, if it is a database server, please then uh, justify or you know prove the assumption against these characteristics of the problem. So system-wide outages, only for users on the fourth floor, only between three and four in the afternoon. If it is a database server, how do you prove that? How do you correlate your cause against the, the symptoms? Mm. Because people will say, yeah, I can't quite explain why it's on the full floor. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, then yeah. that probably isn't the, uh, the root cause. Yeah. So what do you think, Tobias? Do you think that the maturity is that there are maturity barriers to problem management, or do you agree with Simon? I, I said I, I agree with Simon because it's better to have a mindset within you know the the company and you know that everyone is that that you do not play the blame game that you are open to that okay we have a problem we need to fix it it could be anywhere as of what we know right now I don't think mature organizations uh, per se is better at that than immature organizations I might even argue that old organizations although not perhaps not mature but they tend to be more protective about their specific domains and, and it's much more easier to to blame someone else and say that's oh, it's a root problem or it's a database problem because you know that's it's nothing nothing wrong with my stuff that i'm yeah. responsible for what i've seen is that in younger companies mature or not but at least younger uh, tends to be a a more open-minded mindset towards we need to fix this together and and you know with with the lean mythology and all the um the the, the Muda and the Kaizen and all that stuff that uh, Simon definitely knows a lot more about than I do. Um, that sort of organizational mindset for doing problem management or handling problem uh, in a good way is much more important than the maturity of the organization. But maybe that is the maturity thing. I don't know. Could be. Okay. So perhaps the difference to bias is the definition of a very vertical organization with deep-rooted silos, you know, people in different rooms or people in different countries even. No teams that don't interact with each other versus a horizontal company where people are a lot more, I don't know, democratic or a lot more communicative. And perhaps it's the 
the, the nature of the the culture of the organization rather than yeah the, uh, but, the and perhaps that's why I'm saying that because that might because my experience is in those vertical organizations mm. you know everywhere I've worked apart from now um has always been very much like that you know there's a very structured kind of management and everybody does their own little bit and nobody really it was especially in in the last role that I had nobody really interacted with anybody else and it was never like you were saying before um Tobias with playing the blame game it was always well it's not our fault we didn't do that you know it couldn't possibly be us it must be them over there um so perhaps that's where I'm coming from with it that that I can't see it from in my experience how that would how they would do it I guess so and are you finding then that there are more and more companies now doing that kind of horizontal management style? No, I think um, really it comes down to a company culture. I think the, the culture needs to be a company which is prepared to learn, mm-hmm. to have a systematic way of learning. To gain, I've, I've written on the ITSM review about retrospectives and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, it doesn't have to be a top-down company culture. I think it needs to be at a team level where teams are prepared to learn and you know, have a more open culture where people can make mistakes and uh, not get yeah. pillowed for it. And again, I think the biggest factor in you know improvements, whether it be lean or Kaizen or Kanban improvements, or the ability to be able to implement things like Captain Trago, is do we have enough slack time in our system to do it? If we're always trying to find more work, or if we're always overloaded with work, how do we find time to do tactical things like retrospectives or you know, introducing a learning culture or you know, do proper root cause analysis? If you have no slack time, I don't really rate your chances of maturing into a, a company that does good problem management. I think yeah. you need to have that slack time to do so. Do you agree? I'm sorry. Sorry, no, carry on, Tobias. I'm, no, I'm just kind of curious to Simmons if, if have you got any experience in, in sort of how to establish that because um, probably I'd say where we had worked um, slack time is not something that just comes around. I think you need to to actually work to have slack time uh, yes, within absolutely. any organization. So have you got any? You know, can can you? Yeah. What's your view on that? Yeah, I, I can talk about my team in the uh, room next door. So one of my teams has. Um, because of the products they support, have an incredible amount of interrupt-driven work. So I work for a, a software company, and we have a large software division. We have a customer support division, and of course, being uh, what we'd like to think of as a DevOps company, we have a very close interaction between the two. So there's no, we try and remove the silos as much as possible. So as developers, we can't say, "Look, support, you need to deal with this yourself." We're always available to them, and we have a very close working relationship. But that has evolved into a situation where the software development team are constantly responding to interrupt driven work so they have no slack time because they're always working on the next high priority issue for an important customer mm-hmm. so for them they're, they're saying look we can't get on with our longer term projects we can't get on with product development we can't get on with uh, introducing the learning culture because we're always responding to customers so that would be very familiar to any service desk analyst who's constantly picking up the next ticket and doesn't stop for eight hours a day because they're constantly working, how do we make slack time available? Mm-hmm. So what I've done in the company I work for now is you know, we have a much better way of queuing, of queuing work. So we use Kanban. We have a Kanban wall where we 
work moves physically from left to right through the lanes. And by introducing a much better queuing system, we've managed to adjust the level of expectation as such where support know that we are being much more predictable and it may take three or four days, but they appreciate the predictability much more than the raw emotive responsiveness. So when we turn it around in 10 minutes, they initially feel very happy, but it's a bit like a crack habit, right? You feel happy that one time, but then you want to have 10 minutes, not speaking from experience, but <laughs> 10-minute um, response every single time. So you keep coming back saying, can I have another 10-minute hit? And the our customer, who is our own customer support organization, I believe they're actually happier when they have a slightly slower but more regulated response time. And what we're seeing is that when they know it's a day or two days, whatever our commitment is, some things don't come to us. They know that they won't get a response in 10 minutes, so they, um, they just... They, they fix it themselves. And of course, we respond to high urgency issues when the things are burning, we'll go and do them. But you know, simple things like visualizing work and being communicative and saying, look, your issue is number four in the queue. You can see it on the wall. Um, we have a physical wall as well as a electronic tool. We use our own tool for that. And at one point, we were snapshotting with our phones the wall and sending it to the people who work in the queue. And that has, over the weeks, introduced slack time where we're saying, right, we know we can deal with that tomorrow because we're going to meet our commitment. How can we spend the next couple of hours? And it could be doing some more strategic work or doing a retrospective. Mm -hmm. So I think there are methods. Maybe another podcast will be on how to create slack time. But yeah, customers must strive, or sorry, it, companies must strive, teams must strive to create slack time because that's when you get to be innovative and make changes. If you're always responding to other people, how yeah. can you base your own culture and your own identity on your work, which should be predictable, you know, a friendly face. If you're always responding to people, you're going to be always run off your feet and that slightly manic looking IT guy. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're definitely right there. I was uh, just thinking from my experience that it's, yeah, you need that. It's that mentality, isn't it? The cut, the organizational mentality that you don't have to be running at hundred percent 24 seven, that you need to have that time to be able to, like you said, look into things and uh, and and be strategic so i i think that's yeah i think that's really really important yeah i mean it's quite a uh, I, I say this to teams now and then and it appears controversial when you say it and the thing what to say to them is we don't employ people to make sure they're busy all of the time so my job as a manager is not much not to make sure that every single person is 100 percent stacked up all the time what we employ people to do is achieve outcomes so if it's get a project delivered or you know, provide a certain level of service. If we can achieve that and have people sat idle for half a day and we're still achieving our outcomes, that's got to be good. I don't know where this mentality was, uh, where it came from, which says if you're not keeping people busy all the day, as a manager, you're failing. I think our job is to, you know, keep the services running, achieve the outcomes, deliver projects on time. And part of a manager's job is how can I create slack time for my team so they can know think or you know, do yeah. other stuff or learn <laughs> yeah yeah you know, definitely yeah it's not about I... keeping people busy it's no. uh, about keeping stuff done. what's your experience with that Tobias are you how do you guys work where, where you are well that's kind of the thing, reason I'm asking because I, I find it very troublesome that it's quite difficult for us to find that slack time and to, to get the uh, <clears throat> Uh, the people that need to be working with problem management, for instance, uh, uh, with analysis and then fixing problems, 
they they're always too busy and there's always something that is has got higher priority yes and uh, especially when when they set out on on making their own priorities it's always going to be you know, sort of their pet things that they want to whenever they get a little slack time they they pick up something that <clears throat> That I didn't um, that, that I didn't give them. They pick yeah. up something that they feel they want to do themselves. So it's probably a management management thing that you need to 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 be clear on how to work with that. But the main problem is, in, in general, that no one seems to have any time to to do any of this more of well non firefighting work. Yeah, That's a big thing to, to to handle. I don't know how to do it really. So yeah, well there we go. I think we're going to have to start pimping out Simon and getting him to. <laughs> <laughs> to give advice on on how to how to create slack time so now available for consultation yeah so sex drugs it must be rock and yeah. roll next yeah <laughs> so actually talking of rock and roll um yeah. now tobias you went to the did you go to the norway conference no, unfortunately, I missed that one. Oh no, because you know that would have been our rock and roll, but never mind. But were you uh, at? The, did yeah. you go to the? You, I assume you went to the Sweden. Is the Sweden conference no. happened? Unfortunately, I missed that one too. I managed <laughs> to to miss our own conference. Okay, Don't twice, ask me you're letting me down now. <laughs> was it was it rock and roll because Bruce Dickinson did the keynote? Which one? Oh, was he was that supposed one? to. Yeah, he, in Norway, he was supposed to do the keynote, but then uh, I, I think he got ill, he had cancer or something, so he cancelled everything for the next uh, year or so. so oh, they, they got some football player, a soccer player. Kevin Keegan. It was Kevin yeah, Keegan, wasn't it? Right. Yes. Yeah, right. I did see some some uh, podcasts with him, and I just thought he was just the most dull man I think I've ever listened to. I don't know if – I mean, I don't know much about football, so I will probably get completely, you know – Pilloried here for for saying that, but he did seem really dull. So um, well, I'm going to call it now. And <laughs> when it happens, when it happens next year, I want people to call me a wise prophet, Jedward, to do the keynote <laughs> at ITSMF in 2016. You heard it here first. The the UK one, because uh, yeah. yeah, wow, that would be that that would be something. I'm not sure I'm what what the something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, <laughs> Kevin Keegan. I mean, I, I love Bruce Dickinson. I've, I'm, I grew up in uh, East London, you know, so West Ham, Iron Maiden. As a guy growing up in the 80s, is like he had no choice. I love Bruce Dickinson, but I didn't quite get why he would have delivered that keynote. We quite often Kevin often Keegan know, just more Yeah, I mean, you you do quite often get it though, don't you, with these with the conferences that the that the keynotes don't don't seem to make an awful lot of sense in the beginning but then when they start talking it's like the um the pink conference i think it was pink conference last year where they had the astronaut whose name i've forgotten oh my gosh uh the man with the mustache he was amazing um and chris it, hadfield. yes that's it chris hadfield he was he was amazing and you know and, and the stuff that he said was just really inspiring and and he did manage to relate you know going up into space and being able to you know like if we've got a problem then you've got to deal with it there and then and if you can you know if you can deal with something in space within 24 hours then how is it that you can't deal with it related issues in in that kind of same same time you know it's it's not rocket science but <laughs> um so um you know if you're, I don't. A, if you're in the earth if you're in a spaceship orbiting earth and you have a problem 
you want to make sure you don't get the wrong root cause and try and fix the wrong one, don't you? Exactly. So, yes. Yeah, but um, you know, and he was really interesting. But you know, there have been some others that that have you know been a bit mm, you know, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you make a, an interesting have a have an interesting keynote um, without you know because you you would exhaust the number of people in the IT kind of community pretty fast, wouldn't you? I imagine. Actually, one of the ones that I saw now this was one of the first keynotes that I saw I think which was the SDI conference in back in 2012 I think it was um and it was Chris Dancy and I thought mm. he was really really interesting and it was the first time I'd ever seen Chris Dancy and and the stuff that he was talking about to me then it was all new and exciting um so I don't know whether if I saw it again now whether I would feel the same way um but that you know but that was really really good and and I just feel like everybody that's tried to do that kind of thing since it's just not been the same for me, you know, mm. kind of talking about all the new and exciting world of connected humans and connected machines and, and all the rest of it. I, I don't know, perhaps it was because it, like I said, because it was brand new then. How about you? Has there been any keynotes that you've really enjoyed in the past? Um, I had one I had one in uh, one of the Swedish conferences. Uh, we had uh, a Norwegian uh, oil tanker captain. Uh, who came and and he spoke to us about you know, problems and, and problem management, but you know with that twist that he he was the captain of an oil tanker, uh, but but you know it, the way you you approach problems, the way it's quite important that you you find the root cause and you know fix the problems before they really you know being proactive before you you, you know you you get an oil leakage or whatever you hit that iceberg. So to me he was really he, he could tell a lot of real life time stories uh, mm. about things that I could you know connect to and, and feel was what was actually you know to a value for me in my line of business as well although we work in completely different areas so yeah that, that's, it was a great guy but that's the thing isn't it as long as it's relatable then it's it's good and interesting isn't it but um, what about you Simon um so I really love hearing uh, Fred Lady speak I haven't been to too many of the industry conferences I don't really get to those too much um, so obviously mine have been more related to the company I work for, and Fred Lydie's got a, an amazing passion. But outside of ITSM, um, I went to the Lean Kanban UK conference. Actually, sorry, I spoke at the Lean Kanban UK conference. Ooh. I know, check me out. <laughs> and it's on infoq.com for a sip. Um, and there's a keynote, it wasn't the keynote, but it was an amazing speech by a guy called Stephen Bungay. So Stephen, P-H, and Bungay, B-U-N-G-A-Y. And I'm spelling it out because you can't find it. So Stephen Bungay at Lean Kanban, United Kingdom. And this guy is a historian, a military historian, and he's right. very, 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 very British. And, you know, he came in his tweed jacket and he speaks like <laughs> this very dramatically. And he tied in um, all of today's modern leaders, like Steve Jobs and Obama and all of these modern leaders. And he painted a picture that... Um, 20 years ago, it was all about how can you be a good manager. And if you went to the bookshop, you buy a book on how to be an efficient manager. And then at some point, it changed to be leader. Mm. Um, and he said, right, everyone stop wanting to be a manager because leaders were the new um, buzzword. Yeah. <laughs> and his point was that to be, it's called the executive trinity. That was the name of his speech. So to be a, a good executive or a good, you know, a, a senior person that you can get stuff done. Being a manager is no good. Being a leader is no good. 
and being a director is no good, which is the third point of the trinity, you need to be in the middle. So if you're a manager, you're good at the, the logistics and moving work, whether it be physical or knowledge work from A to B, you manage people, um, that's a good trait. Mm -hmm. But you're not going to be the best person to get stuff done if you're only a manager. Yeah. If you're a leader, you can communicate the vision and people go, wow, I want to follow that guy and I'm going to follow his vision all the way. But you may not necessarily be good at the day-to-day -day management of it. Mm -hmm. So that's two sides of the triangle. And the third one was the director. And the director has the kind of uh, strategic, you, know, you can map out the roadmap and he can you know, take the company and guide them from A to B. But again, being a director doesn't necessarily mean you're great at communicating the vision. Yeah. And Stephen Bungay's speech was around the executive trinity. And to be the ultimate executive, you need to be you need to have elements of all three. You need to be able to manage people. You need to be able to communicate the vision as a leader. And you need to have that strategic brain as a director to get the work from A to B. And very few people have all three. Yeah. And he says most people are good at two out of three. Yeah. And if you challenge yourself and you say, of those three things, which one am I missing? Then it's a good way of evaluating where you are on that trinity. And, you know, Steve Jobs was one of those guys who... I believe, in Stephen Bungay's opinion, was in the middle. He had all three qualities. But most other leaders don't. They don't have the ability to put out the vision, do the strategy, and manage the kind of grind of the day-to-day -day work. So the best keynote I've seen, or the best speech, has been Stephen Bungay at um, Lean Kanban UK. It's on InfoQ, and it's definitely worth the hour. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And um... I'd, like to have, I'd like to have that guy as my problem manager. <laughs> yeah, <all right. laughs> Yeah. Um, he, at, so on, on, on the podcast, uh, Rebecca, if I can give you the link, maybe you can put the link in the podcast yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll, uh, I'll do, yeah, yeah. I've written, I've written some stuff down anyway, so yeah, that would be fantastic. Um, awesome. So on the subject of books, then, as you were just uh, talking of, yeah. about some then. So what? So what's on your bookshelf at the moment, Simon? So I talked about the new Rational Manager, which is a book <laughs> I was given when I started doing the Captain Trego work, and. That's really good. So it really goes into that, that process, which is talked about quite a lot. And the other one that I brought to talk about today was the five dysfunctions of a team. And again, this is kind of my passion or my interest in things which aren't just process and technology, which seems to be the two major cornerstones of ITSM. Mm -hmm. Have you got a technical tool set to do it? Technology behind the services? And do we have the process? And I'm sure other people have got that covered. I want to talk really, I'm more interested in the team aspect of it. How do you make teams high-performing? And most of all, how do you make people happy in their work? Because I see a lot of people that work in organizations and are not happy. And as soon as you spend a lot of our life at work and the rest of it's sleeping, you know, and not enough. <laughs> not enough in between, yeah. So the five dysfunctions of a team is something I've used a lot. Um, Patrick Lencioni is the author. And it talks about any team. So it could be a team of engineers or a team of executives or a football team. And it talks about what dysfunctions they exhibit. And the model is a triangle. And at the bottom layer, we have things like invulnerability, where teams aren't able to be vulnerable in front of each other. Mm -hmm. um, so not vulnerable, like breakdown crying and you know, doing the old hugging each other and... <laughs> falling back into each other's arms, but if I made a, make a mistake, do I feel able to say, hey guys, look, I've done something wrong here and I need yeah. your help? Or if I don't understand something, do I feel able to go to someone else and say, look, I know I should know this, I know you know it better than I do, can you, can you help me? 
Mm. And at the bottom layer of any you know, unfunctional, uh, malfunctioning team or dysfunctional team, we see an absence of trust where teams don't trust each other yeah. in a way that they can be vulnerable and say, look, I need your help or I've done something wrong. Or even for me to say to Tobias, hey, Tobias, in that meeting yesterday, you, know, you didn't let me get my point across and I feel upset about that. If I don't trust Tobias not to go crazy and shout at me, if I don't trust him to take my criticism on board, mm-hmm. then I can't function, I can't communicate as a team. Yeah. So the five dysfunctions of a team, um, again, another podcast, I can rant about that for ages, but I've been reading, rereading that because uh, it's really kind of fundamental thing to read and yeah. it's definitely changed how I worked all of last year and I used it a lot. That sounds really interesting. How about you, Spice? Have you obviously you you've had some holiday reading at the moment? I'm assuming Fifty Shades of Grey, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, what what else have you? Is there anything else that you've been uh, looking at recently? Uh, I actually went back to because I, uh, I've, I've lended out the book to a colleague and, and she brought it back to me just before uh, this holiday. Uh, so I, I didn't read it right now, but it came to mind when we, we were talking about doing this podcast. And it's that's a, the standard and case approach. Uh, by Rob England when it comes to giving you some some extra help in in being able to understand that problem management is probably not the uh, the most you know straightforward process thing that sometimes people you know mix it up and and confuses it with incident incident management and mm-hmm. that book and the the thing that you could could take away from from that when it comes to the how to look different on these day-to-day things that you take care of in the service desk with the help of incident management and all the other stuff that it's quite difficult to to always know the exact steps to do as in problem management for instance depending on you know the, the root cause and what teams you need to involve and all that and that's a, a book that I think has given me quite a lot of things to hold on to when I try to explain to my team um, that, there, that this incident management and problem management isn't the same and problem management is definitely not one straightforward process that you can just fill in uh, ticket stuff in, in a tool. Yeah. So the standard and case approach to response management by Rob England would be a, a book that I could sort of recommend to people that need some, some extra reading around that. Fantastic. And Tobias, you're going to be at Service Management Day in Holland. And when, when is that going to be? Oh, it's on the 23rd of April, I think. 23rd of April. And you're going to be you're going to be speaking during a session there? Yes, I'm, I'm doing a session on, on problem management. And uh, it's, it's called, I've done it before I did it in Estonia this fall. It's called Bring Me Problems, Not Solutions. And it's around the fact that uh, I see that a lot of people, a lot of organizations run to the solution and, and they, they come to you uh, with the solution instead of actually destri- describing the problem to you so that you can get a chance to actually agree on what the problem is and finding what you what you think the common goal should be before trying to, to run into solving stuff. So it's going to be great fun. It's, um, I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, that sounds great. Fantastic. Okay. Well, um, is there anything else that you guys want to talk about while we're while we're on the podcast? Um, it, I think it's nice that it's a bit shorter this this time because we do tend to rattle on a bit sometimes. Well, we're all about efficiency, so we'll keep it short. <laughs> keep it short this week. <laughs> cool. Well, fantastic. Thank you ever so much for joining me, um, Simon. Hopefully, at some point in the future, we will actually get to properly meet each other, as opposed to just walking past each other in you know San Francisco and not saying hello uh, and Tobias it was lovely to meet you um, at the ITSMF conference 
Yes. Um, are you are you guys going to sit? We are. Yes. Yes. We will. We, we're going to actually have a stand this year. It's our first ever time of having a stand, um, and we're going to be making an announcement, which we're very very excited about. So more news about that soon. How about you, Simon? Are you guys going to be there? What, what's the announcement? Well, I can't tell you because it'll, the announcement will be at six. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's it's about um, it's about something new that we're that we're doing. So, um, okay. we're, which we're very excited about. So, uh, it's well, it's, it's not new, new. It's kind of something that we've been working on for a while, and uh, we so, will be doing the grand unveiling. So, come and see us. Um, but and, it's you can tell us what is the something. <laughs> so it's it's um <laughs> yeah, so it's it's something called um tools advisor which is where we so we have we're going to have a dedicated um site and it's supported by both itam review and the itsm review and it's basically where we put in all our reviews um, and it also has reviews from customers as well so if somebody's looking for a new tool to do a specific thing it they'll be able to kind of do a search and and look for particular um, perhaps, for example, processes or something, um, and it will show up in in um, order of the, the most highly rated. Um, so to give people more of an idea as to what pe- other people are using and, and what they find useful with regard to solutions and tools. You're going to be in so much trouble for telling me that. I was only teasing you. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I can edit it out. It's a podcast. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But yeah, so anyway, it was great having you guys on. Thank you ever so much. Um, and I shall make sure that I that I put all these uh, links to these amazing books because they sound fantastic. I can see that I'm going to be busy reading for the foreseeable future. Um, and uh, great, guys. Thanks ever so much for your time. Thank, Thank you very much. Thanks, then. Bye. Yeah.